Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Hello everyone, Um, I'm Amy and this is Sophie. Hi. And we are from Bad Form, a literary review by and for Black, Asian and racialized community writers. Um, and we are taking over your radio waves today. Sophie and my recap of 2020 to 2021 books of the year, otherwise known as books of the pancetta, <laughs> the panoramic, books of the panacotta, whatever you would like to refer to them as. Um, we will be taking you through our personal favourites um, of sort of two-month periods, not to get too specific, um, from March to March, um, discussing them with you and giving you a little tip to go with each book, which I think is quite cool. Um, so you can get an idea of what we've been reading over at Bad Four, what we've been enjoying. And um, according to that, all the books and authors that we will be mentioning today are books by Black, Asian and marginalised community authors, because that's who we are here to support. And similarly, the music artists are all Black, Asian and racialized community, um, you know, because we love a theme. We, we do love a theme. Um, so without further ado, I will allow Sophie to introduce herself to you. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Sophie. I'm Batform's features editor. Um, I am a PhD student and I work on blackness and world making in France. And I also love reading very much. And I've tried throughout the lockdown. Yeah, everyone was like, it's the lockdown anniversary. So we thought we'd do a big recap. Um, and my first book is actually very, I think, on brand for this year, because it's Otisa Mushbeg's My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Um, this book is quite famous. Most of the books are quite famous. I think we should believe the hype, because the hype is usually very right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so this book is just a really interesting... The premise is this girl, right, she's very rich, she's quite depressed, and she decides that she's going to sleep for a year using loads of pills. And that's what the book is about. Um, and <laughs> it's one of the only, the first things that I read during the pandemic, because at first I couldn't really, I don't know, I was stuck at home, locked down, didn't really want to do anything. Um, and I bought that on my iPad. I never read ebooks, but I was like, you know what, let's just, I can't go to the bookshop anyways. I'll just read this one. Yeah. It was just really good. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yes. So I guess that's the brief intro for this book. <laughs> Um, and I th- I think within the writing, what I particularly liked was the way in which she explored kind of like depression and it's like the unlikable main character, but done right, which I guess is a trend that we can discuss. Um, so, yeah. That's really interesting that you bought it in ebook. I didn't know that. I mean, the reason I picked up this book, which is very vain of me, but I really like the cover. Like, I thought it was really cool. It's this, um, if you haven't seen it, it's a portrait of a woman sort of 
God, I can't name the art period style, but it looks like it's done with expensive paint. Um, and then it has like fluorescent pink writing on it. Um, in the same kind of style, I guess, to like Three Women by Lisa Tadeo has that sort of painting with like cool text on top. Um, and that's what made me pick up the book more than anything. I mean, reading a book about a woman who's depressed was not that appealing to me. Um, so what made you pick up the book? Was it the topic or the title? No, so I saw it before. Um, in I used to go to Goldsmith before the strikes and before lockdown for my MA. And there's an amazing bookshop called The Words that's right around the corner in Newcross. It's really great. It's independent. It's very political. They always have deals of like two for one Um Actually, I think some of the books that I have here, definitely, yeah, the last one I picked up there. The owner is amazing and uh, they had a display and on the display was my year of rest and relaxation. And actually at the time I read, I really liked what it looked like um, and I read kind of the, the blurb and I was like, no, I don't, I actually don't want to read this. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to not feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it sounded a bit like, it's like this really rich kind of hateable main character and I was just like I don't I I love a little Sally Rooney but like there is a limit to how much unlikable rich girls I can take mm. and for some reason then when I was when lockdown started I was like you know what maybe this book will speak to me I didn't want to escape I just wanted something that would make me feel validated and it kind of did in a weird way. I didn't want to do anything. She doesn't want to do anything. She doesn't leave the house. I didn't leave the house. It was perfect. <laughs> to be fair, that sounds like the most relatable lockdown content, especially on how it was pitched to us when we first started. Like, it'll be two and a half weeks of, you know, us Jay chilling at home. And then it did turn into a year, although I would argue it is not a bit of relaxing. What was it? Mm-hmm. Rest and relaxation. Um, it's been a hot mess. Um, but it's something to hear. And why is that the book that really stuck out to you for that March, April period? Because I know for a fact you had to read quite a few for bad form in that period. <laughs> um, so why is the wet one you chose out of all of them? It's really, it's really the one I remembered. And I think it's much, um, I'm going to say vibes for the first time and I'm probably going to say it 17 more times because it's the only way I can make sense of the world. But mm-hmm. the vibes of this book are the ones that really reflect how it was, how I was feeling. I think lockdown hit everybody quite hard, but it definitely, I mean, it definitely hit me really hard. Um, you know, I, I stopped working, we're on furlough for a while, but it was all like a bit weird. Um, I was meant to like keep going for uni. I did not. So, and this book is just really about, I think whether or not you like it, it really captures something about being very very down um in an exacerbated way of course but it does it in a manner that i hadn't really ever seen before um or read before really so that's something i enjoyed um and it's the main one yeah it's the main one i remember really i think a lot of the things that happened in that period kind of like i remember watching cats with my flatmate and i remember you know like the first time we I don't know, trekked around East London trying to find flour because all the supermarkets were out. But a lot of it is very blurry. So it was just the first one that came. Yeah. Um, should we should we play the first song? We should. Okay. Yeah. So my choice for my year of rest and relaxation is Otis Brown's Somebody Help Me. Um, and the reason for that is, first of all, that's how I was feeling. Second of all, um, it was in the soundtrack to uh, the amazing, oh God, I was going to say HBO, but I don't know if it was HBO. Um, 
Anyways, High Fidelity with the Zoe Kravitz, which was a mini-series that was not renewed. The soundtrack was incredible. This song was in the soundtrack. So, yeah. We are going to talk about uh, Brave New Words, which was edited by Sushailin Astor. It's a collection of essays. Unsurprisingly, if you know me, I do love an essay collection. Um, and this is my choice from March to April um, because it was actually one of the first proofs we ever received as bad form. Um, so I found a bad form in summer 2019 with the help of Sophie. Um, and for those first sort of six to eight months, you know, we weren't really getting much traction at all. Um, and when you are a reviewer, what normally happens is a publisher will send you an advanced copy of a book to review. Um, and sort of six to eight months down the line, nobody was doing that <laughs> except for this lovely little publisher and this lovely woman at this publisher called Lauren. Um, and the publisher was Myriad Editions. Um, and this was one of the first books we were sent, um, and it was published to celebrate 35 years of Wasafiri, uh, the leading magazine of international literature. Um, and it says on the back of the book that these essays imagine writing across shifting and troubled borders and diverse possibilities for living, working and belonging together. Um, but actually what this book basically does is it collects 15 authors um, and to discuss the power of the written words and, and how important it is going forward. Um, and, you know, the, the concept of, of politics and literature isn't exactly new, um, but Wasafiri is particularly interesting because it was created decades ago now to platform writers who are Black, Asian and racialized community across the globe, which is obviously something that really aligns to our hearts here at Bad Form. Um, so I'm just going to re read you this little um, quote from, which is on the back of the book, um, but also from an essay by Carol Phillips, which inspired the collection. Um, and so it says, as long as we have literature as a bulwark against intolerance and as long as, and as a force for change, then we have a chance. Literature is plurality in action. It deeply respects the place where everybody has the right to be understood. And I remember reading that and thinking, like, yes. <laughs> like, yes, this this is it. This is what it's meant to be. Um, and I just found it really exciting to read. Like, every every essay is so different. There's such, such a range of, of contributors, including uh, the one and only Bernadine Evaristo, um, before she was even cooler than she is now. Um, <laughs> Eva Hoffman, uh, Kai Miller, Bina Shah, um, and it was all edited by Sushilin Astor, who, if you don't know, is the brilliant editor-in-chief of um, Wasafiri and has been for, like, a while now. Um, so really a brilliant collection of, of essays. Um, and I think it's underrated as lame as it is to say um and i just feel like there are so many people i know who would really enjoy this so i would wholeheartedly recommend it as a book yeah i remember when you got it you were just so excited um so i'm not really surprised that it's the one you picked but i wondered is there a particular essay that strikes you or like that you still think about um sometimes and that you'd like to share yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the titles of the essays are pretty sick. Um, like, The Minds of Writers, The Life and Death of Pakistan, Saben Mahmoud, The Dinner That Changed My Life. Um, but the one that really got me, unsurprisingly, um, was Bernadine, Bernadine Evaristo's What a Time to Be a Brackets Black, Brackets British, Brackets Woman with an X, Writer. Um, and it really was fascinating. It starts with a discussion of the slum flower, 
um, as a bestseller. It, it, it discusses all these books which were coming out, especially when this book was published sort of 2019, before the Black Lives Matter movement happened and publishers really sat up and were thinking about sort of audiences beyond their traditional and the importance of, for example, black British women in reaching these audiences. Um, it, it, it considers these books as not only trailblazers, but the, the bedrock of our literature in the UK and and how important these women were in their words and putting themselves out there and, and how brave they were um, to be doing so. And she says it in a lot more eloquent way than I can. <laughs> but it really, it really touched me to read. And I think that every book she cites in that essay is important in its own way, whether or not it was a bestseller. It really contributes contributes to the, the canon of literature for Black British women authors. Um, so yeah, I think that's an especially important one. I wish it had been posted somewhere. Like I'd love to link to it as well as, you know, pointing everyone in the direction of this book because I'd send it to everyone I know. But yeah, I thought that one was particularly excellent. She's so consistent because then, of course, there's the the amazing collection that was just released uh, with, oh, you, you're the one who knows the editors. It's with Penguin, but I don't know which bit <laughs> um, of Black British writers, uh, which if you're interested, there's a collection of interviews on Batform's website with every single one of the authors and maybe a piece coming soon as well about the collection. So, yeah, anyways, lo we love someone who is extremely consistent. Yeah, we love, like, you're so right. Like, that, I, I hadn't actually connected the two things, but you're so right. Like, what she's done in this connection, it's called the the Writing Back series, um, and it's published with Penguin Journal and Hamish Hamilton, which is where Bernadine herself is, is published and has been for, for years and years now, um, including, you know, the publication of Gold and other, but all her books before that. Um, and what she did is she found six brilliant black writers who have been published in previous decades by all sorts of, of British publishing houses and republished them with an introduction introductory essay by herself. Um, yeah, and, and that was a huge platform. Like these republish republications frankly would not have been spoken about with as much excitement as they would have been as they have been with Bernadine's involvement. Um, so her commitment to uplifting not only her own voices, but the voices of other black British authors in particular, I think is not only commendable, but just like really exciting to see that it's still, you know, it's still possible. Like even when an author is that successful, they can still take the time to do that and it only adds to themselves. I don't know. I think it's, yeah, you're right. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, on, on the back of that book, I'm going to introduce you to my first song choice, um, which is uh, Bubbling by Anderson Pack, <laughs> um, which um, Anderson Pack is one of my favourite, favourite artists. Um, and you may recently have known him from his collaboration with Bruno Mars, which is Leave the Door Open, also a banger. Um, but this book, I remember listening to at the time, it's really, you know, about, about making waves, about standing your ground and, and gaining things. And this book really symbolises that for me um, in terms of bad form and where we were. Um, so, yeah, here we go. Here's Bubbling by Anderson Pack. Look at you go! Okay, This was great. This was a lovely song. Um, and actually, my new, <laughs> my Majin book is also by Bernadine Evaristo, which is really getting all the flowers in this um, takeover. It's Girl, Women, Other. I know that you've heard of it because it is <laughs> maybe one of the most successful uh, British books, let alone written by women, uh, let alone written by black women of the past few years. Um, it got the Booker Prize. It's 
and it is so it deserves it um i read it yeah around around springtime last year i just remember being sad it was on my flatmate's kindle because i don't have a kindle myself and i remember looking around the house before we recorded trying to find it right now um and then just like remembering the reason i don't have it is because i don't own a copy it was sarah's copy and i feel like that's actually so fitting for a book that's about connection um that is about you know community uh that's about various links between generations i got the french translation to my mom for christmas i don't think she's read it yet but i know that when she does she's gonna love it so much i actually want it to be summer so she can be on holidays and read the book that i got her for christmas um girl with another is i think not the easiest book to sum up because it's about but i'm still gonna try um it's about black british women and also um some non-binary people throughout kind of the past uh, i'm gonna be wrong i'm not gonna say it throughout the past while um some decades and it's they're all connected in one way or other um and they you travel the world with them you you see so many different it has no punctuation and i think that kind of sums up the way it works it doesn't it doesn't stop between yeah it's all about connection and flow it it doesn't it just takes you through the way the world is kind of webbed together um yeah for lack of a a clear explanation and i read it quite late i think compared to when because that now i'm really plugged into uh book news because of platform but i didn't used to be at all and especially uh in england i'm a little bit more plugged into book news in france because i'm french and so i know what's coming out when we have our prize season in the in the autumn uh but not here and so Yeah, when I read it, I was just so and I was really happy as well to read it late because everyone had already read it, so I could just message them and say, "Oh my god, I finally started Girl with Another and it's incredible." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's such a great book for that. I feel like everyone who's read it has that similar, "Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you enjoyed it too," which I feel like is pretty rare for a book which is so literary, I guess. Yeah. Like very rarely do you get to connect with so many people about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's it's true. It's and it's you know that's exactly what you said. And it's also really, I think, ambitious in the way it's it's playing with language as well. It's really pushing the boundaries. Um, it's also quite in, like it deals with a, a bunch of topics that aren't the necessarily the easiest. Um, but I think the way it does it is really clever, and it actually means that you. I think it, it could be really good to prompt some intergenerational conversations. It would be really good to. To maybe introduce people to topics they are not really familiar with. It's just really good. And so I'm glad that it got so much press because people who wouldn't necessarily have picked it up would now because they've heard of it. Because I think that's why also like prices are so important. Yeah. Um, didn't talk about that again, but like I, yeah, they matter. Um, <laughs> if a book gets the booker, people will read it a lot more than if it's just, you know, if I tell you it's this book with no punctuation about black women and other in British history, if I tell you it's the Booker Prize winner, yeah. <laughs> well, you say that. Actually, there's something really interesting going on with the Booker versus the Women's Prize, which this also won. Um, so this year, the, the book shortlisted, this year, sorry, being 2020, the book shortlisted for the Booker Prize, three of them hit 12,000 sales um, before the prize was announced, which was a record. And also, 
not that many books. Like if you think about 12,000, that's not like a huge number of people in the UK considering the whole, you know, the population of London, of London is something like eight, 10 million. Um, so actually like as much as I think in the UK, we like to think of the Booker Prize winners as being something that makes it really popular. Um, I don't think it necessarily computes with the British public. Whereas the women's prize winner always ends up being a massive bestseller, like Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. It's just everywhere still. And that won it. It feels like a zillion years ago. It was only a few months ago. Um, so I feel like maybe it's because you're French in like the pre-concours and stuff like that. You, um, you think of it as quite important. I don't know. Like, would you always read a pre-concours? To be fair. It's interesting you say that. It's also, is there the Costa one that's quite popular? It is. But yeah, I just, I don't know whether it translates necessarily into all the sales I just feel like books being talked about obviously I'm really plugged into one side of the discourse that we'll talk about Urbanas in a book a lot more than you know um I think maybe the main channels but um no you're right it, it is interesting it's interesting always to have numbers I feel like looking at what translates into sales and like the books people will talk about versus the books people will actually buy and read mm. it's all very interesting um but yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess sorry. I can um, introduce this. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say sorry for bringing up the numbers. I mean, this year, I should probably just flag also for our audience, it's a really interesting year to be talking about numbers because as a publishing industry, we don't have them this year in the same way we normally do. So book purchases are basically normally accounted through this program called Nielsen Bookscan. And during lockdowns, all three of them in the UK, book sales weren't counted. Um, so we can give like rough guesstimates. We can see what's in like the Sunday Times bestsellers list and stuff. But unless it's, unless you work at a specific house, you can see your internal house numbers. But like you or I couldn't figure out, even if we, you know, bought Bookscan access, wouldn't be able to figure out, you know, which book was selling the most copies in a year, which is, bizarre i think and, and really hinders discussion in some respects but yeah sorry i will let you introduce <laughs> your song just, just on that it's so interesting as well that this happened this year because yes physical bookshop but um i feel like a lot of people at some point started reading more because everyone was stuck at home and everyone ordered more and so it would have been interesting to see um also we saw a huge like conversion between Kind of the, I mean, I, I think, I still think it's crazy that people just bought book by black, books by black people when, um, around George Floyd's murder as a way to respond. But, um, yeah. we know that this happened. So it would have been interesting to see how it translated into numbers. Mm. But yeah, moving away from numbers. Um, my song for Girl Women Other is Joan Armitrading's The Weakness in Me because I only recently found out that Joan Armitrading is British. Um, but she is and she is a, brilliant singer songwriter one of the the first kind of like really big successful women regardless of race a singer songwriter in the uk and mm -hmm. it's also an amazing song so i hope you enjoy it i'm not the sort of person who falls in and quickly Another lovely song choice from Sophie there. I also did not know that. Um, fun fact about her British heritage. Um, always fun to learn. I really don't know that much about musicians versus authors. It really tells you a lot about my hobbies being reading, reading and reading. Um, but yes, anyway, we move on. 
Um, my next book for the May to June period of 2020, when we were deep in lockdown and sort of I didn't really know what time it was. And actually, I had to look up when I read this book to double check it fit within the time period. Um, is Intimations by Zadie Smith. Um, interestingly, Zadie Smith is published by the same imprint as Bernardino Baristo, which is Hamish Hamilton which is managed uh, by Simon Prosser, um, who also publishes great people like Ali Smith, um, just like a really, really great publisher, like has a really great eye for talent and nurturing it through decades. Um, but yes, I digress. I, I am a huge fan. Um, but Inspirations I bring up because I loved it. Um, I'm going to read you a bit from the review I wrote for it at the time, which I feel like sums up my viewpoint quite succinctly um and i said i did not enjoy intimations at some point i wanted to throw it away and stop reading it made me very sad and very angry and very confused and it's very brilliant and you should definitely read it um <laughs> it, it's such an interesting little tiny book um you know you could describe the contents factually um zadie smith presents six essays um although one is broken into six plus a post script so maybe it's zadie smith presents 13 essays um and it's uh, five and six sevenths essays on lockdown um, and a bit more. And, you know, it just sounds a bit boring when I'm saying it like this. But what it really was is basically just like Zadie Smith musing on stuff that was going on at the time. I can't explain it any better than that. Um, she wrote an essay, um, The American Exception. And she focuses on the American man who must no longer be named um, and just sort of existence in the early days of lockdown. Um, she thinks about life before. Um, then he spoke the truth. We didn't have death. We had dead people. Um, and I felt like she'd like lent through the page and like shaken me. Um, you know, she was only addressing America here, but it's sort of universally true. We've had dead people before and wars and wars on drugs and people dying and illness and viruses. But we've never had death before, you know, we've never been surrounded by it sort of infinitely, never endingly. Um, and yeah, I think this was the first book I'd read about lockdown. Um, and admittedly, it was only a couple of months into lockdown, so it's probably the fastest they could publish one. Um, but I found it, yeah, I found it fascinating. I still maintain, you know, sort of almost a year later that this has been the best book written on lockdown that I've read so far, though I'm sure there's a huge number to come um, that haven't started yet. Um, and I found it fascinating. Sophie, however, did not entirely agree, which is, you know, totally up to her. Um yeah, yeah. I picked it up because of Amy's review, because, mm. I mean, you wouldn't after this sentence that you have to read it. It's great. I think my problem with it was, mm. and it's really interesting because when I picked it up, I posted a picture to my Insta story and our good friend Cordelia messaged me and said, I think the best thing was the, the acknowledgements at the end. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Usually I agree with Cordy, so we'll see. Um, I had kind of like the two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So I reading it and I think my problem with it was the essays that weren't about kind of like life and lockdown there was an essay about writing which I thought was incredible I'm not a fiction writer but I have to write you know I don't write I have to write um <laughs> for my PhD and my research and for platform like most of what I do is writing um and everything she said about that was incredible I thought it was spot on was beautifully written but the things she wrote about lockdown life I was like you're a very rich expat um moving across borders and telling us about how when you pass your manicurist you're wondering oh this poor man looking at the window surely he needs money like and I really hated that I thought it was because she tried oh god I'm gonna sound terrible but I think some of it tried to be self-aware so she was like of course I'm very privileged 
And then five pages of, yes, I'm very privileged and actually I'm complaining about lockdown life, but here's all the great things that are, you know, I don't know. It was really hard for me because of that, I think, to relate to it. I really like her writing. Um, I ended up finishing it by like reading out loud, which I don't do that often, but I did a few times. Um, when I was in high school, my I couldn't read a theater thing that I had to read, like a play that I had to read for school. I called my grandma and I was like, I'm really stuck. I can't read the lesson. I don't understand. And she was like, it's like poetry. Read it out loud. And so I thought, you know what? I'll try. And it actually worked. I read it to myself and I finished it. And I thought some of it was brilliant and some of it was quite infuriating, probably because of the lockdown class. Well, not lockdown. Class politics on the one hand, exacerbated by coronavirus, <laughs> um, made it a bit hard. And I think, yeah, somehow I didn't really want to hear very rich people tell me about how this was hard and we're all in this together because we weren't <laughs> but it was it was a good book and I think you're you're a big Sadie Smith fan but you always say you kind of like her non-fiction almost more than her fiction am I right so can do you want to say a bit more about that god I always sound really horrible when I say this I'm just I just don't think she's that good at fiction by comparison like I just don't think they're on the same level like she's a great fiction writer obviously but like I always think when she writes nonfiction, it's always stuff I remember. I always want other people to read her nonfiction. Like I enjoyed White Teeth. Like that's it. Like I couldn't tell you the plot right now. Like I read it once and, and I probably wouldn't read it again. Like it was obviously great. It's, you know, interesting representation of modern Britain and things like that. But you know, give me like feel free over Grand Union any day. Like, I would much rather read another, even like a collection of her columns and stuff, which is what I think feel free was. And I gave it to my dad afterwards and we had a chat and that's how my dad sort of discovered the inner life of Jay-Z and now we can talk about it. Like I just think that she has a way of musing on stuff which makes you feel smart reading it um whereas i don't feel smart reading her fiction i feel a bit stupid and i'm pretty sure i don't entirely understand what she's getting at most of the time um which may just be me in relation to to literary fiction but i don't know um but yeah that was a really interesting discussion i'm gonna introduce you to the song that i think accompanies this um which is uh you've really got a hold on me um by the smoky robinson and the miracles that version um which i love this song and i feel it's quite fitting for you know lockdown because it did really have a hold on me um so here we go <laughs> I love this song so much with a passion and oh, I'm so glad you picked it. Right, next, July, August, summer, the parks were open. We could have our little quarantinis outside. We thought life was good again. And I read Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. And this, <laughs> lovely listeners, was an incredible moment for me because unlike Amy, in a sense, because Amy just said literary fiction, uh, I don't know. I am a sucker for literary fiction. Um, most of what I read is very literary. I went to, I did the literary path in high school in France. I, I can say um, with a, a school validation that I think I'm reasonably well read because of that. I had to read the classics. So there you go. And I had to figure out what I liked and what I didn't like. And I had to, you know, exercise my sort of yeah, like, I don't know, some stuff, poetry, I cannot enjoy on my own, but I could enjoy when I was studying it in class and had to write like 10 pages on why this particular thing on Lies by Luz Germont was incredible. Anyways, Take a Hint, Danny Brown is Talia Hibbert's second novel in the Brown Sisters trilogy. 
and Amy kind of sent some proofs out. By that by that time, we're getting a few more proofs, and I saw the blurb, which was kind of this workaholic um, PhD candidate and her friend who works security in the university fall in love. And I was like, you know what? I'll read it. I am about to start my PhD. Um, <laughs> it'll speak to me. I did not expect the book to be what it was because I had never read romance, not really. Yeah. And so, you know, the first sex scene, I was like, oh my God, this is very explicit. And it was incredible. And I... I don't even have my copy right now because it's in Germany with my friend Leah because when she came back to London, we used to share a flat and then she went back home to her parents, to Germany over lockdown. When she came back, she came back for like not that long and I was like, you need to read this book by Talia Hibbert. There you go. And so now it's there. Um, my housemate now, Alice, she was falling down. I ordered Chloe Brown and I was like, there you go. You're going to read this and you're going to love this. It's going to change your life. I could speak about um, Talia Hibbert's books for days. I just interviewed her for Batform and she was really nice and really lovely and she had amazing takes on why people write bad sex scenes. So run to the website and read that. Um, yeah. Anyways, Danny Brown. I didn't even really talk about the book. It's, I don't need to. You just need to pick it up and read it. No, it's a it's a rom-com really it's about you know a ridiculous premise for two people to fall in love and and Talia Hibbert is incredible at re writing about sorry the birth of desire the, the birth of love the fears that come with love um just feelings like being in your feels but in in a funny way this book was so funny I kept laughing out loud everyone who was in my house at that time was like what are you still laughing at your book I was like yes because this sentence is very funny and the way and it was relatable um I, I could go on and on and on. At Your Age, Eve Brown, which is the third one in the trilogy, just came out. It's just every bit as good. And no, I will say that um, before I let Amy speak, there is Talia Hibbert does representation incredibly well. And I think both of us and, and the platform team in general, we're really trying to move the, I mean, we're trying to move the conversation. A lot of people are, but within the literary kind of like circle and, and the the idea of like people who write about books, we really want to move the conversation beyond representation because at some point, you know, what are you going to say? Like, yes, we need black people. We need people who aren't, um, you know, cis white straight men in books, but, but that's, that's not enough. The way Talia Hibbert does it though, is that every bit of identity that is added on to the characters to make them fully fleshed out matters and is there for a reason and is addressed at some point. And so Safa, who's the, second like the other main character uh in Danny Brown is suffers with anxiety I suffer with anxiety I'd never read it in a book in a way that wasn't tragic it just happens like Zaf has panic attacks and and then Zaf you know has fun and Zaf is overly cautious because he has panic attacks but Zaf lets himself fall in love and and Danny Brown um you know she's like she's not a thin model and the way that it's described in the sex scenes is and I don't know I've never read anyone write about stretch marks as something appealing um but not in a way that was like oh right now big neon sign we're talking about stretch marks we're being body positive saggy boobs are actually great no instead it was just weaved in like I think it is in real life and I think if I'd read this when I was a teen um it would have been incredibly helpful to me so yeah my love letter to talia hibbert <laughs> is done 
I just, I have nothing to add other than like, I just love hearing you talk about Talia Hibbert. I think anyone listening to this will agree with me. Um, I was so shocked, right? So I sent two, um, like, into sort of, we had a bad form WhatsApp group for potential submitters. And I was like, hey, I've had these two proof offers in. Does anyone want to take them? Because we're doing our romance issue. So we wanted people to review these books. And when Sophie said yes to Talia Hibbert, I was like, I mean, you can have it, but... I don't know if you're going to like it. Um, it's just like, doesn't seem what you'd enjoy at all, but okay. Um, and the fact that she's just like a convert to, to romance fiction because of this one person who's written such a brilliant book. Like I went out and bought it straight away after I read Sophie, which even had Sophie like raving about it. I think even before she'd written on it, it was just so exciting to me to have someone that who's that well-read and that passionate about literature to be like, no, this is the rom-com you need. Um, as a passionate enjoyer of rom-coms myself. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, totally agree with everything that Sophie said um, and would highly recommend that you chat, you read her chat um, with Talia, which is on the Bad Form website, because it's just so joyful to read. Like, it's two women who just love what they're talking about and that really, like, pours out of every sentence. I just love it. I just love it. Um, so, yes, I will pass the mic back to Sophie now <laughs> to introduce her song. Oh, yes, song. Also another, I'm very high. Don't worry, I'll come down because my other books are sadder. But the song is um, Umu Songari by Ayana Kamura. Ayana Kamura is a black French singer. She is, I think, incredible. Uh, you've probably heard some of her songs because she's kind of the one of the biggest French singers outside of France these days. Um, she's of Malian origin. Umu Songari is a Malian singer, kind of like a central figure of Monday Sound. And this song is really great. It's from Aya's first album. It's not that famous, which is why I wanted to play it. And I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed that really joyful discussion of rom-com and happiness um, because my summer book is super depressing, super upsetting, made me cry and quite stressed, um, actually quite an anxiety-anxious-inducing book. Um, so yeah, this is this is not one for the romance lovers. Though I also love this book, so maybe it is. Um, the book I want to suggest as my favourite from the July to August um, Everything Was Wonderful barbecue season um, is Burnt Sugar by Avni Doshi. Um, again, this is really still quite early on into to bad forms exploration of receiving proofs, um, especially from um, the Penguin General. Um, I do work at Penguin, but in a different department, and um, I didn't know these people from work at all. This is all done over email, speculatively. Um, and the very lovely um, Jane Gentle and Poppy North um, sent me some really great books, including this book by an author I don't think anyone had heard of really at this point in the UK called Avni Doshi. Um, and the first line of this book is, I would be lying if I said my mother's misery has never given me pleasure. What? Like, absolute punch in the gut. Like, the entire novel is like this, like, sickeningly beautiful illustration of, like, the universal truth that all daughters turn into their mothers. Um, I mean, the premise itself is pretty bland and a little bit sad you know the mother is starting to lose her memory and a daughter seeks her medical treatment um so tara the mother is beginning to lose her memory roaming the house at night wanting to change the sheets for a child who has wet the bed um who has long grown up um 
And Tara, her daughter, believes that there is clearly something seriously wrong with her mother and no one else or the doctor doesn't even believe her. Um, so it's a pretty sad story, familiar of a daughter becoming a carer to her own mother, sort of that reversal of roles. Um, so I wasn't really expecting that much when I had it in, you know, I had an offer for an interview. I said yes, even before I'd read the book, because, you know, it would be good for bad form, whatever. Um, but oh my God, oh my God, it is... But there's a quote on the front by Fatima Bhutto which says it was taught unsettling and ferocious and that I think sums it up entirely you're so taught you're like a string when you're reading this you're so deeply uncomfortable her ability to articulate articulate discomfort is second to none I've never read anything like it it is horrible even for someone who's never written or experienced anything like this I mean I'm, I'm very lucky I've not had to go through this myself but, but I felt like I was going through it it really made me want to hug my mum and love my mum and gosh it was difficult and also turns out Abby's really great um, I sent her some email questions she answered them really really well um, and I asked her about that you know aspect of discomfort I was like did you set out to write something that made me feel so deeply uncomfortable. Maybe that's insulting and I shouldn't have written that in a question, but I did. Um, but Avni said uh, something I thought was really enlightening. She said, I can't speak for other writers, but I think part of writing this novel and perhaps learning to write in general has been a battle with my inner censor. I wrote many drafts of this story before I got to this place and allowing myself to write with intimacy was something I had to cultivate over time. I also had an idea of what a novel should sound like or look like, at least what this novel was going to sound like and look like. And I had to abandon those preconceived notions too. The intention was definitely not to make readers uncomfortable, at least not consciously, because I wasn't thinking about the reception of the book while I was writing. That would have been overwhelming and scary, and I have to tread lightly. And I really do think that Doshi moves on the concept of what a novel about motherhood or daughterhood, daughterness, is there a word for that? I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Um, it really moves it on. It's, it, there's, I wouldn't say there's a story to it as much as there is an existence to it. You know, this relationship exists, this exists and you just observe it. Um, and that was proven, you know, it was long listed and then shortlisted for the Booker Prize, which is, you know, unreal and very excited to see in a year where there were some really fantastic books. I think of all the years to enter the Booker Prize, this was a tough one. Um, so really, really amazed by this book. Um, and I don't know if I would recommend it, actually. I think you have to be in a really healthy mental mental place to, to read it. Sorry, I've been going on about it forever, Sophie. Um, but yeah, I found it really tough to read. Um, but I will never forget that experience. I still think about it to this day, and I haven't picked it up since August 2020, maybe July 2020. Um, yeah, I think it's just an incredible piece of work, really. Do you think it was interesting for you to read? Because if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. um, Avni Dashi and the characters in the book are all South Asian? Yes. Um, do you think it was interesting to read this from that perspective rather? Because I know from a couple of the books that are coming up for me, it was also interesting to look at hard um, feelings, like universal stuff, but that you never read from a perspective of someone who's not like white and middle class uh so yeah do you think that's something that played into it oh definitely like i'd never read the story of an indian daughter in relation to her mother that wasn't just like a glowing praise of like indian matriarchal family lines and sort of the difficulty of of having in-laws i'd never really read about that relationship between mother and daughter because the emphasis is always on daughter and mother-in-law um and to read that and not just see it on you know a bollywood film was 
bizarre in a lot of ways. Like I've never experienced, you can't really re-experience that for the first time. I don't think I'll ever feel like that again. But it, yeah, it was, like you said, I do want to move the conversation as bad form does beyond representation. But that was a true moment of, oh, wow, other people have that too, um, which is bizarre as an Indian person because there's quite a few of us. But <laughs> it was it was quite, quite incredible. Um, yeah, and the song I picked for this is not... I don't know, it sort of evokes a similar reaction in me. Um, I think it's one of the albums of the year, um, Ungodly Hour by Chloe and Halley. Um, and this song is called Lonely. Um, and yeah, it's not directly about, you know, mother and daughter, but it does discuss that loneliness, which Avni Doshi discusses so much in her book. So, Lonely, here we go. 